chapter 23, verses 23 through 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside also may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Caitlin, for reading our scripture this morning and telling your grandma happy birthday. My name's Emily. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. I hope to have a chance to get to know you if we haven't had a chance to do that yet. We are in the third week of a sermon series called I Like Jesus, but exploring some of those many complicated relationships that folks have with church, the institution, with faith, with Christians. The data around this is sobering. According to recent statistics, over 165,000 people live in Stafford County. And over 73% of those persons are not connected to a church. And another survey we looked at said most of that 73% think that Christians don't act much like Jesus. That's a problem. What if we turn that data into a mission and take it seriously? What if God gives Ebenezer a heart for that 73% and calls us to act on it? That's our goal with this series. It is both inward and outward, inwardly, to be more authentic as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and outwardly to build real relationships with real people in the community with that 73%. So that with God's help, we can put skin on faith In ways that make people want to move toward Jesus and the church rather than away from it. So by the grace of God, may there be a revival. A revival. Amen? Amen. Let's have a prayer. Holy and gracious God, we pray that you would open up to us today this difficult passage of scripture. Lord, may we grow from reading it, grow by your grace and mercy. And may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our refuge, and our redeemer, and it is in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. The statement for today is uncomfortable for those of us who are Christians. 
the scripture passage we read today is uncomfortable for those of us who are Christians. Matthew 23 is rarely preached, rarely heard, rarely read, rarely heard in church. Why is that? Well, kind and compassionate Jesus uses unkind and fairly scathing words. These are some of the harshest words of Jesus in all the Gospels. He calls people names. Blind guides, blind fools, hypocrites, frauds, poisonous snakes, whitewashed tombs. My goodness. This is the harsh judgment of Jesus, not on people outside the faith community, but in it and on leaders of it. And if these words make you uncomfortable as people of faith, no, they make me uncomfortable too. They're meant to. They're meant to unsettle and challenge us and call us to attention. Why does Jesus speak so harshly? Let's look at the context. In Matthew, Jesus has entered Jerusalem for the first and only time just two days ago. It's what we now call Holy Week, the week that ends in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And there are similar passages in Mark and Luke, but the format's a lot shorter. And we only read a small portion of Matthew 23 today, but I encourage you to read all of it later sometime this week. Throughout the whole chapter, Jesus is speaking against leaders in the faith community. And why is he calling them out? There are three main issues. Number one, they're laying heavy burdens on people with rules, 613 of them. Number two, they're majoring in the minors. And number three, they are hypocrites, Jesus says. And these charges Jesus offers are against the scribes and the Pharisees. Those folks were the leading opponents of Jesus at the time. Scribes were experts in civil and religious law. Pharisees followed a strict observance of that law. And they were convinced they were doing the right thing. But Jesus was calling them to a different way of living out faith. And in their faithfulness to their tradition, it was hard for them to hear it. And now some 2,000 years later, the criticism that Jesus lobs against the leaders of faith in Matthew 23 is very similar to the criticism many people still lob against Christians and the church today. Being judgmental having a lack of compassion and grace, focusing on rules instead of focusing on relationships and making disciples, and hypocrisy. And when our behavior as Christians pushes people away, that's a problem. And that's why Jesus' language is harsh. My grandfather lobbed some of the same charges against the church in the last decades of his life. He would have been part of that 73%. He liked Jesus, but he didn't like many Christians or the church. My grandfather told me there were too many hypocrites, and that's why he didn't want to be there. He said in his humility, they didn't need one more. He told me that some of the men who were leading church, 
the one we'd been to, who were teaching and praying long prayers and standing in front of others, were men that he knew out in the community, folks he knew cheated people and drank too much and cursed and cheated on their spouses. He didn't want to hear what they were teaching, he told me. He didn't get why they were respected at church when they weren't people he respected out in the community. And I didn't know what to say to that as a kid. How do you respond? I told him I didn't know what to say. I said we're all messed up in one way or another. And we're all a work in progress. And my grandfather said, well, that might be, but those men need to do better. My grandfather had his own faults, but he did have a point. If people outside the church don't have a good experience with people they know to be inside the church, why would they want to be part of it? If people who don't have a relationship with Jesus don't like the people who do or are condemned by them, why would they want to have a relationship with Jesus too? It's a fair point. This mismatch of who we are inside and outside is what Jesus is talking about in verses 27 and 28. It's a description of hypocrisy when who we are in public is very different from who we are at home. Or when who we are inside church is very different from who we are when we're not there. The phrase Jesus uses for it is white washed tombs. What does that mean? In the first century, in Jerusalem, tombs were painted white, so people would not inadvertently touch them. Persons would come to Jerusalem from all over for religious festivals, and by religious law, you needed to be clean to participate in that festival. If you touched a tomb, you were considered unclean and couldn't participate. So tombs were painted this obvious color so you wouldn't miss them when you were walking around. A tomb was painted white. It was this symbol of purity when inside what was there was dead. To use the word whitewashed tomb is a way to say that who we are has been painted over for show and it does not match the inner reality. It's also the image that Jesus uses in verses 25 and 26 about cleaning both the inside and outside of a cup, not just the part that's visible. The goal is for us to be the same grace-filled, imperfect, God's working on us person, no matter where we are, out on 610, in church, outside of church, at home, at work, on Instagram, on Facebook, at school, wherever we happen to be with our grandfather or with a good friend, inside and out. And maybe we are by the grace of God and maybe like those men my grandfather knew or like me or like many of us, we still have some growing to do and a witness to work on. Christ have mercy on us. Jesus warns about other dangers of hypocrisy too. Like when we judge people instead of loving them. Jesus tells us we don't get to do the judging anyway. 
And when we judge, we're often trying to justify our biases or hide our own issues by pointing the attention toward others. It's like when I would get in trouble as a kid for scratching my sister on the nose. I was very quick to say, but she just punched me in the stomach and called me a name. If I could get the tension off of me just for a moment, then surely I could get my mom to pass judgment on her. My mother, though, was wise to my ways (laughs) and quick to remind both of us that we had messed up. We forget that, as in verse 8, that Jesus says we are all on the same level, all students when it comes to this thing we call faith. Imperfect brothers and sisters together under one God. None of us meant to be the judge over another. Jesus says there is one teacher. And the rest of us are his imperfect students on this level playing field. Imperfection is who we are, right? None of us has this thing all figured out. We come with our mistakes and fears and doubts and hurts and struggles and questions and faults and sin. And none of us is exempt from any of that. We are all just one beggar trying to show another beggar where we found the bread. Right here. In this relationship with Jesus Christ. What do we do with that? What do we say? We're all broken, right? In one way or another. And we come to Jesus looking for wholeness, for forgiveness, for salvation, for reconciliation, for grace, for love. And it's not perfection that brings us to this table. It's the opposite of it. And it's not a checklist either. It's our brokenness and the desire and need for Jesus Christ. And so we come with all our stuff, messy as it is, with no hiding, no acting. As Rachel Held Evans wrote, um, in search of real sanctuary and a safe place to shed the masks and exhale and be real and vulnerable with God and each other. And that's what church is meant to be. As someone said, church isn't meant to be the happiest place in town, but it ought to be the most honest and real. We're all hypocrites in one way or another about something. And none of us is fully yet who God is calling us to be. What's that song we learn as kids sometimes? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Thanks be to God, Christ is at work in each of us and by grace we can and do grow. But we as Christians sometimes forget about that. We forget about grace, compassion, growth, and put them on the back burner. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus says that that's what the scribes and Pharisees have been doing. Majoring in the minors, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. What does he mean by that? In the first century, people did strain their liquids that would be used for cooking or drinking to get out the gnats because you wanted to. (laughs) There was a way, that was the way to get out those tiny gnats. Jesus was saying they were focusing too much on the smallest details 
and matters and missing the big ones. They even condemned Jesus for breaking some of those 613 religious rules but failed to recognize him or his grace or who he was and how he went out of his way to connect with everyone, the least, the last, and the lost. We might say today they were missing the forest for the trees or back then missing the camels for the gnats, tithing down to the tiniest herbs in the garden while neglecting what Jesus said matters far more, justice, mercy, faith, compassion, And in verses 11 and 12, humility and service. Sometimes we have trouble putting all of this together and living it out in one authentic life with humility and going out of our way to welcome and love well and major in the majors like compassion and grace. When I started in ministry over 30 years ago, I started out as the director of student ministries and we had on Sunday nights our middle school and senior high ministry and we met in the basement at that church I was serving at the time and for several weeks I saw this black head of hair popping up through the windows in the basement from time to time but not coming inside until one night that black head of hair came into the doors and it was a boy in middle school I'd never met him before. I'll call him Nathan. And when he came that night, uh, he used slurs and words that I didn't think a middle schooler would know at that age. I tried to get him to stop, but he wouldn't. What I learned that night about Nathan is that he was hard to be around. It would be many months before I would learn the rest. That home was not a safe place. That his dad was in and out of jail for various reasons and had his own vices. That Nathan had siblings, that they rarely had enough to eat. And that Nathan often got in trouble at school. Nathan's interruption of our student ministry that night was only the beginning. He then interrupted all of our youth ministry and our whole church. His behavior was such that families threatened to pull out if he were there. The ones who had been church members the longest were pressuring me to kick Nathan out. They said they would leave if I didn't. They had already written him off. I didn't know what to do. I was in my 20s. I was wrestling with it and praying about it. I understood what they were saying because he was difficult. I was frustrated, they were frustrated, the other adult volunteers were frustrated, and I didn't know what to do. But as I prayed, I got this nagging from Jesus. I know Jesus does nag sometimes, right? (laughs) I got this nagging feeling from Jesus. What if we could be the first people in Nathan's life to show him and his siblings that they matter? To God and to a church. What if the way the people were living out Jesus in front of Nathan was not the same Jesus we were teaching about and reading about in the scripture? It didn't match. And I'm pretty sure Jesus would have gone out of his way to include Nathan in any way that he could. The people were embodying at church what most others in Nathan's life had 
already told him that he wasn't worth it. The church would not want to bother with him. And Jesus had better things to do, better people to be with, because they certainly did. It was such a hard time. Nathan could have said to me, I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And I would have gotten it. I prayed a lot about what to do. Who gets to decide who can come to church and who cannot? Is that even a question we get to ask? How could we say we love and welcome everyone but not you? Was that hypocritical? What if we prayed for Nathan and his family instead of writing them off? Was that Jesus pushing us to go out of our comfort zones in love when love is hard? So with the mouths that they had just used to complain about Nathan again, I asked them in their next breath to please lift him up in prayer. And that's what we did again and again and again. And we did our imperfect best to welcome Nathan and include him. And by the grace of God, it began to make a difference. Thanks be to God. The behavior and attitude of the church folks began to shift. The behavior and attitude of Nathan began to shift. They encouraged Nathan and showed him a more authentic Jesus than the one they had showed him since he first arrived. And Nathan began bringing his siblings. Amen. We built a good and bumpy relationship. And over time, he had no doubt that Jesus loved him and that the church loved him and cared about him and his family. And Nathan loved Jesus too. Amen. Someone has said, no one will ever believe if you love them if they don't think you like them first. And people will know if you see them as a project Instead of a person worth loving, a person worth welcoming to church and worth welcoming to this table. It matters. Jesus was fairly heated when people messed this up. We hear the passion in his voice in Matthew 23 today. Why was he so passionate? Because it matters. These verses are meant to make us uncomfortable. They're meant to make us ask questions and call us to examine our witness and how we live it out and the words that we put to faith and how we treat other people. Because if our behavior as persons of faith turns people, anyone, away, that is a problem. 73% just gets higher. Jesus is telling us to not lay heavy burdens on others, to major in the majors and be real and humble about faith inside and out. It's hard, right? How is Jesus inviting us to be more and more authentic? Who is that person in the neighborhood in the community with whom Jesus is calling you to build a real and honest relationship built on faith. 
May God give us a heart for all of this community, the 73% and more, as we focus on the camels out there. Justice, mercy, and faith. With the grace and help of God, may we be real. May we be humble. May we serve and love God with all that we are. Amen. Amen. This is a sermon that's been really hard to write. I'll tell you that. I was still tinkering with it this morning. I think the reason it's been so hard is because it just hits home. If we're honest as Christians, we've all got some growing to do. I know I do. And so a passage that makes the pastor uncomfortable is a good thing. (laughs) Um, It means we've all got room to grow. So we have today a prayer of confession, a corporate prayer of confession that I wrote that I thought that we could all pray together as we prepare ourselves to come to this table as one. Would you join me in praying this prayer today? God of grace and mercy, we ask for forgiveness. We need your help. We want to be the real thing as your followers and know we have much to learn. Make the inside and outside of us who you want us to be. Forgive us for any harm we have done to others in our thoughts, actions, and words. Forgive us for how our behavior and words have turned people away from you. We think about ourselves first, and yet you call us to a life of community. We major in the minors and miss the bigger picture of your grace. Help us to love like you would. We want to be more authentic as your disciples in all our questions and desire to grow. Help us to be humble and real. Forgive us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ, who saves and forgives. Amen.